Thank you, Eric. Shall we bow our heads as we commit this time to the Lord in prayer? So gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word given to us. We pray, Lord, as we look at these few verses, few chapters that is before us, we ask of you, Father, that you would teach us what it means to live this Christian life and what we can do to be fruitful for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are now halfway through in our overview of this book of Joshua. And as you will realize by now that as we continue on in our study, this book can basically be divided into very two distinct parts. The first half, as we have already touched on over the last few weeks or so, we find that it is all about Joshua's mission of how he was to possess the land of Canaan, how he was to be successfully defeating and capturing the various cities. And you'll find that there's this one fundamental principle that stood out in this whole entire process. you find that as long as Joshua obeyed the Lord's guidance, as long as Joshua is willing to follow the Lord's direction, victory was his for the taking, as the battle belongs to the Lord and the battle has already been won. And so we find that chapter 10 to 12 summarizes then for us Israel's remaining conquest over both the southern as well as the northern cities. And it eventually will close with this rather long list of names of the kings whom Joshua had defeated. So that's the first half of Joshua. And as you come to the second part of this book, you find that it now records Joshua dividing the promised land to each of the 12 tribes for them to claim as their allotment and their inheritance. Hence, for today, we will consider this rather long segment from chapters 13 to 21, but we're not going to cover everything. I'll be picking out a few passages for us to note. And in the whole process, we can learn four vital lessons regarding our own Christian walk with the Lord. So, in summary, we can say that for today, we're not going to give you one long sermon, but rather you'll be blessed because you have four short sermons. So we start then with the reading for today that was read by Eric in Joshua chapter 13, verse 1 to 13. And as you have heard earlier, we are told that by this time, most of the land of Canaan had already been taken over by the Israelites. And if you look with me to the beginning of the opening verse, you find that it's crucial to note that the passage tells us that by now, Joshua was now old and advanced in years. He was rather an old man. Exactly how old, the Bible doesn't state, but commentators believe to estimate that he's maybe close to maybe 100 years old by now. And if this was truly his age, then a great concern arose because you continue to read in the second part of verse 1, it tells us that even though Joshua was old and advanced in years, there remains yet very much land to possess. And as we move on further to verse 6, you find that the Lord now, even though that this may be an issue, verse 6 gives us now the assurance from the Lord. The Lord assures Joshua that despite of his age, it will be the Lord Himself who will be the one who will drive out all the inhabitants of the hill country for Israel to occupy. And what Joshua only needed to do was to allot the land to the different tribes. 
And so we read in verse 8 that as Joshua begins with the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, you'll find that these two and a half tribes, they have earlier committed themselves to assist their fellow brothers in the conquest of the land. And now they were returning home, which is located east of Jordan. And you will also realize that these two and a half tribes, by wanting to locate themselves there, significantly it meant something crucial. It meant that they remain outside the boundaries of Canaan, which is not the promised land. <laughs> you see, God had promised them the promised land, which is inside Canaan, but they chose the land outside of Canaan. And this posed a series of serious questions. By this two and a half tribe choosing the land east of Jordan, outside of the promised land, does this imply then that they felt that the promised land that God had given to them of milk and honey, that this land wasn't good enough for them? Does this imply then that they didn't trust in God's providence? That God, what God is going to provide for them in the Canaan was not good enough? So what could possibly be their reason for making this request? You know, there certainly could be many reasons and we can speculate, which is not helpful at all. But we find that the real reason as to why they chose the land east of Jordan was simply because they found that the place was suitable for raising cattle. We read in Numbers 32 verse 1 <coughs> that says this, Now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock, and they saw the land of Jezreel and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place of livestock. So you find that they didn't want the land that God had promised land because they felt that outside of the boundary of the land that God had promised them was a much better place. And you notice here a key observation that is pointed out here in this verse is that once again, we find no record of any consultation with the Lord over this matter. Yes, the land outside of Canaan may be good for raising cattle, but did they seek the Lord that they wanted this place? You find that this decision <coughs> was, based, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> was based solely on the basis on material gains and not on spiritual values. Yes, the choice of land may be excellent for rearing cattle, but you will find that in the long run, it will pose some very serious issues for them. And what are they? You'll find that for one, these tribes who are located outside of the, of the promised land, you find that these tribes will be very much vulnerable to attacks from the neighboring nations, nations like Moab and Amnon. And when they are attacked, you find that the remaining, you know, they, they'll find assistance from the remaining tribes from the west of Jordan difficult to come to assist them. In addition, you also find that these heathen nations will also be a negative influence with their many ungodly practices and customs and might even lead them to idol worshipping, resulting in them being drifting away from God. Some of the Jewish men might even be attracted and be tempted to take these foreign women as their wives, and in doing so, they will violate God's holy law as a people separated from the world. 
In fact, you'll find, rather shockingly, as you will read in the rest of the chapters here, you find the following few verses where the tribes of Israel, they failed to obey the commandment that God had given to them to drive out the enemies. Listen to Joshua 13, verse 13, where it says, Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Makanites, but Geshu and Makat dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. Then Joshua 16, verse 10, However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who live in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have made them to do false labor. And then Joshua 17, verse 12, Yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of these cities, but the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. So what's the first lesson for us as we look in this first portion of Scriptures? I believe the lesson that we can learn is simply this. As you look into this passage, the lesson for us is simply this. Don't become a borderline believer. Don't sit on the fence. If you want to be a true believer, if you claim that you are truly a disciple of Christ, then church, listen to this. Go all the way. Don't stop halfway. If you're not sure that this is the faith that you believe in, sure, take the time. Explore the faith. But when you are certain Immediately accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Don't hesitate. Get baptized like those who did so last week. And not to be a borderline believer is simply not putting one foot in the kingdom of God and saying that I still want to live in this world. Because the Israelites were borderline. They didn't obey the Lord completely. They ended up sinning against the Lord. And as we know, Israel, in the long run, was overrun by these heated practices and they ended up worshipping idols. You know, I've known of many who wants to take this decision to come to know the Lord, but yet they stop short. Why? Because they fear of the commitment in making this decision. But if you're one of those, I want you to understand this, that any decision in life is an act of commitment, isn't it? Whether you want to be married is an act of commitment. Whether you choose this as your career is an act of commitment. Whether you buy a house, it is also an act of commitment. But the best part is this. When you make this commitment to follow Christ all the way, let me guarantee you that you won't regret this commitment at all. You see, it's only when we sit on the fence, chances are that you will be influenced and you will be misled by the world. So church, let's learn from this first lesson that let us not be borderline believers. As to the second lesson, let's turn to now Joshua chapter 14. I'm going to read from verse 6 to verse 15. Joshua chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, follow me as we read through verse 6 to 15. Now the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Canaanite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when God went 
Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went out with me made, my, made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Verse 10, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength is now as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on the day. For you heard on that day how the Anakin were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Canaanite to this day, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel. As we fast forward to this chapter, we focus now on Caleb. And based on this passage, we are told that Caleb was now how old? 85 years old. How many of you are 85 years old? Don't want to show. How many of you are close to 85 years old? Wow, this church very young, very good, huh? Well, we are told here that Caleb was now 85 years old. 45 years earlier at Kadesh Barnea, we are told that Moses then was the leader of God's people. He dispatched 12 spies on a scouting mission into Canaan into which Caleb was one of the spies. And we are told that when they returned back from the mission, Moses received two distinct reports. Together with Joshua, Caleb believed that the land could be taken. But the other ten spies, on the other hand, they were afraid. And so what did they do? They presented a negative report, resulting in the children of Israel wandering around in the wilderness. But God However, took hold. He took note of Caleb's courage. His conviction was so striking that we are told that God paid tribute to him. Listen to what God said in Numbers 14 verse 24. God said that, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, what was it that Caleb had which catches God's eye? If you look into the verse again, it says here, the answer is because he had a different spirit. Now, what is this different spirit? What qualifies a person to have a different spirit? If you scan with me back to Joshua 14, verse 6 to 15, you'll find that the name that reappears again and again in Caleb's mouth was the Lord. If you count, you'll find that Caleb made nine references to the Lord. 
And this clearly reveals to us who was in his heart and who was in his mind. So what caused Caleb to have this different spirit was because he centered his thoughts on the Lord. He centered his challenges upon the Lord. He was saying to himself that the Lord is my strength. The Lord is able to help me overcome any difficulties despite of my age. He was merely echoing what the Apostle Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. No wonder we find that when He came, His turn to claim His inheritance. What was Joshua's request? We are told in verse 13 that he dared to request Hebron. He asked for the hill country where the Anakin resided with their fortified cities. And in case you aren't aware, the giant Goliath that was slain by David, he was a descendant of the Anakin. And it was also further recorded in chapter 15, verse 14, that when the land was given to Joshua, sorry, when the land was given to Caleb, Caleb himself drove out the three sons of Anak, Shisha, Ahiman, and Talma, he overcame and defeated giants. So the second lesson for us as we look into this conquest is that you and I, we are never too old to be used by God or to achieve new conquests in the power of God. So to those of you who are retired, or maybe close to 85 years old, or maybe you don't feel that you're young anymore, my question to you is this. Do you have this same different spirit of Caleb? Do you believe that God can still use you despite of your age? You know, in our midst, we are a small congregation, but we do have many ministries, and we do need people to come up, to rise up, to serve in the church. I know the Sunday school kids, uh, children, uh, 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 Ellen, and the team leaders are looking for new teachers. Our ECC, we are crying out for new blood. It's always the same old people. You may feel that you are old, but hey, when you're old means you're mature, you have more experience. God can use you despite of your age as long as you are willing to commit yourself. So do you believe that God can use you Is your mind concerned only on the problem? Or is your mind focusing on God? Referencing again to Colossians 3.2, Paul's urge us, he says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So church, let me encourage you. Let's rise up. Don't look at your age or your ability and say that, no, I can't be used by God. God can use you. Just as he has used Caleb, despite of his age, he can use all of us. But the thing is this, we must be willing to avail ourselves to the opportunities that God has given to us. The third lesson, let's turn now to Joshua 15. Joshua chapter 15, and we're going to read verse 13 to verse 19. And so according to the command of the Lord to Joshua, he gave Caleb the son of Jephunneh a portion among the people of Judah. Kirat Abba, that is Hebron, Abba was the father of Anak. 
And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Shisha, and Ahiman, and Talmah, the descendants of Anak. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debi. Now the name of Debi formerly was Kirat Sephar. And Caleb said, Whoever strikes Kirat Sephar and captures it, to him will I give Exar, my daughter, as wife. And Othonel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it, and he gave him Exar, his daughter, as wife. Now when she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. She got off a donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now in this interesting text, we see how Caleb's faith rubbed off to the next generation. After driving out the three sons of Anak, we are told that Caleb now challenged anyone from his clan. He says, is there anyone who's willing to rise up and capture the town of Kiryat Sephar? And lo and behold, we are told that who came forward was none other than this man, Othniel. And when he did so, Othniel was given Exar, the daughter of Caleb, to be his wife. And we find that later on, Othniel himself was one of the judges in the land, as you will read from Judges chapter 3, verse 7 to 11. You also find that Caleb's example not only spurred this man, Othniel, we find that Caleb's faith also spurred his daughter. Why? Because we are told that she boldly approached her father for the land of the Negev, and when this was given, she even dared to ask for the springs of water, and her request was duly granted. Now, why was this so? was simply because Caleb set the example. Caleb showed to his clan. Caleb showed to his daughter. Caleb showed to his future son-in-law that if I'm 85 years old, I'm able to do all these things, you can also do all these things. He was showing the example to the next generation. And so with this, let me now address the parents here in our midst. Parents, what sort of faith example are you displaying for your children? Seriously ask yourself this question. Are you as a parent, do you only show your children that you attend service only when you feel like it? Do you only come for service when you think that you're on duty and that you can come? Do you only read the Bible when you have the time? You know, if you think that it's only affecting you, I'm sorry to say, if you're doing this, then you're sitting on the fence. Because make no mistake, your children will be seeing what you are doing. And when they see what you're doing, they will also follow your example. And what's worse is because of your passive attitude in the faith. If you set this wrong example, they will themselves end up losing the faith. But to those rest of us who are more mature here in the congregation, I also want to challenge you and ask you this question. What sort of example now are you setting for the younger generation in our midst? You know that it is our practice 
that every fourth weekend, we combine the family service where the agape kids, together with the youth in 516, they will come to join us as one body worshipping. But here's a question. <clears throat> what will they see in us? What will, be, what will they be learning from you and I? If they come at the weekend and they see that many of us are absent, what will be they thinking in their mind? Would they be saying that church is not important? When our lives, our attitudes, our behaviors and the words spoken don't mirror that of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, what example are we setting for the younger ones? We need to be found faithful as the lyrics of the song goes. So the third spiritual lesson for us is that we must be a shining example for the younger generation to emulate. And finally, one last lesson, and this is derived from Joshua 21, reading from verses 43 to verse 45, a short portion of Scriptures. Joshua 21, verse 43 to verse 45. Then thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest to every side, just as He sworn to their fathers. Not one of all the enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all the enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. All came to pass. The main focus is on this last sentence in verse 45. All came to pass. In a world of failing words, where there's broken promises, empty vows, you find that God's word always remains true. When pledges are made only to be retracted, you will never find this from God. All that He say, He will do. All that He say, He will accomplish. All came to pass. You want proof? Well, go back 600 years earlier. What did God promise Abraham? God promised Abraham that to your offspring, I will give you this land. And God fulfilled it. All came to pass. And look at verse 43. Verse 43 specifically states this fulfillment, that the Lord gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And we find that in addition to the land, verse 44 also says that the Lord gave rest to every side just as He had sworn to their fathers. All came to pass. The 12 tribes of Israel were finally allotted their land as their inheritance to start a family. They could now rest in that sense. And what a wonderful assurance to be reminded that our Lord is a covenant-keeping God. Others may make a promise and forget about it, but not our God. He fulfills His always. So this is the fourth spiritual lesson, that God always 
fulfills His promise. But you might ask and say, <clears throat> does this truth matter to us? Does God's integrity make a difference in our outlook of Him? Well, I believe it should. Because as I already mentioned, what He says, all will come to pass. Would you want a God who says one thing and then do another thing? Would you want a God who cannot be trusted? I don't want a God like that. But we have a God who says, whatever He says He will do, it will come to pass. And so to those who may be bereaving right now, listen to the promise of God. He tells us that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalms 30 verse 5. And to those of you, maybe you may be feeling persecuted by your friends. His words again ring true in Psalms 34 verse 19. He says that when many are afflicted of righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. To those of you who may be unwell, you may be facing some illness, some dreaded news that you will receive. His assurance in Psalms 41 verse 3 says this, the Lord sustains him in his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. And to those of you who may be afraid, Isaiah 43 verse 2, the word says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. So church, let us hold on. Let us press on into God's faith towards. When fear surface, respond with this thought in your mind, but God said this. When doubts and difficulties arise, tell yourself, but God promised this. So as I conclude today, let's recap then the four spiritual lessons. Firstly, let's not be borderline Christians. Let's not sit on the fence. If we truly claim today that you are a disciple of Christ, then live it out. Don't do one thing and then do another thing. Let us go all the way. Don't say that you are too old to be used by God. God is never done with us. We may have our failures, we may have our flaws, but God can still use us. The key is whether we avail ourselves to the opportunities that God set for us. Thirdly, don't set a negative example for the next generation. The young ones are in our midst here today. Let's show the right example. And finally, as we continue on in this walk, let us not doubt in the Word of God because we have a covenant-keeping God who says what He will do, He will fulfill. All came to pass. Let us pray. So, Father, this evening, we thank you, Lord, for this four simple message that you've given to us. Message that is so vital for us in our Christian walk with you. And so, Lord, even as we continue on in this walk, we pray, Lord, that you teach us, help us, that for those of us who may be termed as this borderline Christian, may you challenge us to take that next step of being full-time Christian for you, to not doubt your word, but to go all the way. For those of us who 
may be old and tired, you know, Lord, may you challenge us to say yes. Re, you know, revigorize me to serve you once again because the church needs us. And let us be willing to also set the right example for the young ones. So Father, as we commit ourselves afresh to you, we pray, Lord, that you help us as we commit this day to you. In Jesus' name we pray.